This morning, we're in a sermon series on Romans that our pastors are doing here at San Marino Community Church. And for the last three Sundays, Jessica Von Lower and I have been focusing in Romans on three sermons titled, Don't Forget, Three Things That God Wants Us to Always Remember. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at, Don't Forget That We Need God. Last week, we looked at, Don't Forget That God Works All Things Together for Good. But this morning, we look at, Don't Forget Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I warn you, this scripture passage from Romans chapter 8, it's a life-changing scripture. As you hear it, it's really a summary and a crescendo of everything Paul has been talking about in Romans and in Romans chapter 8, but he ends on a very high note, as you will see. But watch out. This scripture might just change your life. Listen for God's word for us. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, us, from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, pour through me, please, the gift of preaching. That we, these words might not simply be human words or human opinions, but by a miracle of your grace, these words might be your living word to us. And may they hit every one of us, every single one of us at our point of need. We know they will, O God, for we pray boldly with anticipation, and we pray in the strong name of Jesus, the risen and the reigning Christ. Amen. When Dr. Addison Leach was professor of New Testament studies and Greek studies at Pittsburgh Seminary in Pennsylvania, he always had a dream that he would have a stained glass window in his study at home. He just had this thought that it would be beautiful to see the light coming in the window through all the different colors and grading his Greek New Testament papers, and he would be reading theology and Bible and having that light from the stained glass window. He talked to his wife, Betty, about it, and Betty advised against it. She said, you know, Addison, there's a vacant lot next door. The kids play in that lot. Uh, Someday somebody's going to kick a soccer ball or something. It's going to break that window. I wouldn't put a stained glass window in that window. But Addison said, oh, Betty, you worry too much. And he installed the stained glass window anyway. Well, he should have listened to his wife. 
two weeks after he installed this beautiful stained glass window, he was grading his Greek New Testament exams one day, and a kid had a grand slam home run, and the baseball went right through Dr. Leach's window, smashed it to smithereens. Dr. Leach was furious. He threw his glasses on the desk, and he opened the door, and he's cursing at the kids in Greek and Hebrew, and they're scurrying to their homes and for their lives, and he went back in, called the repair place. They came and installed a brand new stained glass window, and it was even more beautiful than the first window. And Dr. Leach was delighted with it. And within a few days, he let it be known in the neighborhood and among the underground network of the kids that all the kids could come back and play in the vacant lot next to his house again. And all the kids did come back and play, except one boy. And now it doesn't take a psychotherapist to figure out that the boy who didn't come back was Billy, the boy who hit the baseball. So Dr. Leach looked over and saw the kids playing and realized Billy wasn't there. So he knew everybody in the neighborhood. So he walks over to Billy's house. When Billy saw him coming, he goes up in his room and locks the door. So Billy's mother comes to the door and she says, Dr. Leach, Dr. Leach, we're so sorry that Billy broke your window. Uh, If you just tell us how much we owe, uh, his dad and I will pay for the window and then we'll take it out of Billy's allowance over the years ahead, you know, and, and he'll then have paid for the window. And Dr. Lee said, oh, oh, I didn't come for money. Uh, he said, uh, I just came to, to see Billy. And she said, well, why then did you come? And he said, well, you know, I look over there, I see the kids playing ball, and I see Billy. He loved baseball more than anybody else. And I didn't want him sitting here at home afraid of me and worrying that he broke the window. And, and I just thought to myself, maybe I ought to go over and tell Billy, all is forgiven, come back, play in the yard. I wanted to have a relationship with him myself. And I wanted him to have a relationship with the other kids. So I decided I'd invite him back. She said, Dr. Leach, that is so nice, but Billy's hiding in his room. He's scared to death of you. Dr. Leach said, may I go up? She said, of course. So Dr. Leach, this erudite seminary professor, goes up the stairs to the boy's room, and the kid is now in the closet of his room. He's scared to death. And Dr. Leach bends down and speaks to him through the keyhole, And Dr. Leach is inviting him into a relationship with him and the other kids. He said, Billy, all is forgiven. The window's paid for. Just take my hand, walk with me across the street and play ball with the kids. That's all I want from you. And Billy's got to decide, will he stay in his hiding place or will he take Dr. Leach's hand come out, walk with him across the street to play ball with the other kids in the yard? Now, do you see a sermon in there somewhere? Do you see uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ in there anywhere? You know, I see the gospel in this story. It's a true story. Dr. Leach told me about it some years ago. I think that people have broken the stained glass window of God's heart, and that is what we call sin, or we made a mistake, or hamartia is the Greek word for sin. We missed the mark. We didn't live as we should. We broke the stained glass window of God's heart, but the price to restore the window is too much for any of us to pay, so God pays it for us. Not only that, But God then comes right to our hiding place and says, hey, all is forgiven. I want a relationship with you. I want you to have a relationship with the other human beings that I created you with to live with. And all you have to do is is by faith, come out of your hiding place, take my hand, be in relationship with me and walk over and play with the other kids in the yard. But so many of us have a hard time leaving our hiding place. 
And this is where we see the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that Willow and the Virginia Road Band were just singing about. Because God can't live with separation. God doesn't like it. He doesn't like people to be estranged. God can't live with us being in a hiding place estranged from him. So God comes right to our hiding place, calls us by our name, and invites us to have a whole new relationship with him. In Romans chapter 8, to go back to this story of Billy and Dr. Leach for a moment, what Romans 8 is saying, the Apostle Paul is saying it here, nobody, nobody could bring charges against Billy except Dr. Leach. Nobody could condemn Billy except Dr. Leach. But Dr. Leach paid the price for the broken window and goes over to Billy's house and invites him back. This is what God does for us in Jesus Christ. God gave his son for us. God died on the cross for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So he offers us a whole new life. He can't live with a separation. And so he comes right to our hiding place, invites us in relationship with him. The only one who could bring a charge against us or condemn us is God. And God paid the price for us. God loves us. God forgives us and offers us a brand new life. So therefore, we say with assurance, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, Paul is a logician. He's an orator. He's a person of rhetoric. And here we see the brilliance of his rhetoric. He really sets up a straw man in a sense. What he's going to do is show us all the things that could separate us from the love of God and then say none of them will really separate us from God. So he starts out, shall hardship or distress or persecution or nakedness or peril or famine or sword, can any of those things separate us from the love of God? No, he says. Now, let me remind you that those words weren't just picked by Paul by chance. He chose those words carefully and brilliantly. See, Paul was obviously leading and preaching and teaching in the time of the early church, the first century. The Roman Empire was in charge and Nero and other emperors were persecuting Christians. These were words Paul chose carefully because they described the persecution that the emperor Nero persecuted the Christians with. And Nero was violent in the persecution. I won't describe it in detail, but let me just give you one little vignette that parents were sometimes tied up with rope to a stake. And then they had to watch as a Roman soldier would hold a spear or a sword at their neck. They had to watch as their children were tortured and persecuted and sometimes their children were killed before their very eyes. Now, we might say, how in the world can you then say, could Paul say, nothing could separate us from the love of God? Shouldn't the death of your children separate us from the love of God? I've always loved the words of William Sloan Coffin, who is the pastor of Riverside Church in New York City, a brilliant pastor, a wonderful preacher. But, but Coffin's son, 24 years old, his name was Alex. He was driving the car one night in Boston. It was a rainy night. And he went around a corner too fast and his car turned over and slid into the Boston Harbor and Alex drowned. When Coffin preached the following Sunday after his son was killed, he said in his sermon, the way I deal with this is not that this was the will of God. This was not the will of God. 
the way I deal with it is that when Alex went under the water and he drowned, God's was the first heart to break. I think when those Christians had to watch their children being persecuted, God's was the first heart to break. When that bomb explosion went off in Lebanon and people were killed and covered with blood and we saw the the pictures, God's was the first heart to break. In this pandemic, when, when people are dying, God's is the first heart to break. In other words, what Coffin said, what gave him courage and assuaged his grief was knowing that God was with him, that nothing, nothing could ever separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God was with him and that assuaged his grief. So if Paul were writing to the people today, not just in Rome, but he was writing to the church at San Marino. I think he would say the same thing. Nothing can separate you and San Marino, us and San Marino, from the love of God. But this is the way he would say it. He would ask, who can separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Can Alzheimer's separate us from the love of Christ? No. In all the, in Alzheimer's can't separate us from the love of Christ. Well, what about abuse? Can that separate us from the love of Christ? No, that can't separate us. Well, what about B words like bankruptcy? Can that separate us from the love of Christ? No. What about bullying? Can that separate us from the love of Christ? If you've had a child who's been bullied, you know how bad that is. No, that can't separate us. Well, what about C words? What about cancer and coronavirus? No, they can't separate us from the love of God. Well, what about D words, depression, the number one psychological illness in America, or death? Can that separate us? And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, none of those things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, because God can't stand to be separated from us. So, when you're ever separated from God, or distant from God, or when we're estranged from God, guess who moved? God doesn't move away from us. We move away from God. God can't stand to live without us. So what will we say to this? If God is for us, who could be against us? And Paul is going through all this rhetoric to say nothing in all creation could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And more than that, what could be more than that? We are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Well, a conqueror is someone who wins a battle. But if you're more than a conqueror, you come out of the battle with more resources than you went in with. What Paul is suggesting throughout Romans, and particularly in Romans 7 and 8, is that when Jesus Christ died for us on the cross and when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, God gave us more resources than we ever even imagined. God gave us pardon for the past, power for the present, promise for the future. It's all through Romans. We are the only religion. Jesus is the only one who offers pardon for the past, power for the present, promise for the future. Our sins are forgiven, complete forgiveness of our sins and power for living. God doesn't say to us, good luck following Jesus Christ and living this ethic of love. He puts the spirit of God within us and Jesus Christ lives out the life of love through us and then promise for the future we know that we're going to be with Jesus Christ forever in the kingdom of heaven, as Coffin knew his son Alex would be with Jesus Christ in the kingdom forever. And that assuages our grief, that even though tragedy comes and death comes, and it's hard, and life isn't easy, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How do we know that? 
How do we know that we're more than a conqueror? We know it because God raised Jesus from the dead. On the cross, Jesus absorbed all the blows of Satan and evil and sin and death, all the blows of all the bad things that have ever happened in the world. God absorbed all those in Jesus Christ. And then when God raised Jesus from the dead, God is saying, I've defeated all that, including death. I love sports and I watch sports and I, a lot of it is, sports is a lot of my life. And some years ago, there was a fight that maybe some of you remember. Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman. Ali was older at that time and Foreman was young and Foreman was much bigger and frankly, much stronger. And he had knocked everybody out. He was undefeated. Nobody ever won against him. And many doubted that Ali could even compete against George Foreman, but he was Muhammad Ali and he would sting like a butterfly and float like a bee. And he had this strategy that for several of the rounds, Ali covered up. It was called the rope-a-dope. And this, was, this fight took place in Zaire, in, in the Congo, in Africa. And he would cover up and he would go down so that when, when Foreman came to hit him, he was hitting his shoulders and his wrists, but he was not hitting his torso. Ali covered up. It was the rope-a-dope. And Foreman was getting frustrated. He was punching and punching and punching. And Ali was taking all these blows of Foreman. But Foreman f- became fatigued. And he punched himself out. And when the eighth round bell rang, Ali came out of his corner like a shot. And he went over and he knocked out George Foreman. And George Foreman was lying there, didn't know what hit him. And Ali became again the heavyweight champion of the world. He took all the blows that Foreman had to offer. And he defeated them with a knockout blow. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, in the death of Jesus Christ and in the resurrection. That death of Christ swallowed death, not just once, but forevermore. Now think about this fact. How can I say that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? How can I say it? How can Paul say it? Well, think about this. Our faith began in a cemetery. Our faith didn't begin in a church. Our faith didn't begin in a beautiful pasture somewhere in the the sunlight or the moonlight. Our faith began in a cemetery. Our faith began when everybody was sad. And Mary Magdalene was bereft, waiting by this tomb. And she didn't even notice this gardener was standing there. She she thought it was a gardener. She didn't realize it was Jesus. And then when he spoke to her, she realized he is alive. And Mary Magdalene, in her group, by a tomb in a cemetery, preached the shortest Easter sermon ever preached. I have seen the Lord. And it changed everything. Our faith began in a cemetery. John and Peter ran to the tomb and looked into the empty tomb. And John believed in Jesus. Our faith began in a cemetery. So when life gives us the, the worst blow God, anybody could ever offer, God gives a knockout punch to death. So I'm driving to a, car, a choir retreat in Texas, and I've got this van, and I'm driving all the choir members, and, and I took a wrong turn off the highway and got on this dirt road, and I didn't know where I was. I was lost. And I looked up and saw this little sign that said, this road ends in a cemetery. I thought, thanks a lot. So anyway, I get off, pull off the road, and I take out my pad and pencil, and some ideas occur to me. And I always keep a pad with me to write notes for sermons or illustrations. So I pull off the road, and I'm, I'm writing the little, little ideas here. And the choir member said, Tom, turn around, get with it. We got to get to the choir retreat. I said, don't bug me. I'm working on a sermon here. And I wrote down, this road ends in a cemetery. 
Then I wrote, all roads end in a cemetery except one. And that road goes to the cemetery and through the cemetery and it goes to eternal life. That's the King's Highway. That's the road we're on. This is the road where nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We will die. We'll all die. But Jesus Christ defeated death. So I close with this thought that in the red square in Moscow, there is a mausoleum with this inscription. Here lies the greatest ruler the world has ever seen. He was the Lord of the new humanity. He was the savior of the world. Who is it? Nikolai Lenin, great leader of the, of the Russian people. But Lenin is dead. Did you notice the past tense? He was the ruler of the world. He was the savior and you know, all the great people who live and lead are going to die. They're all, so many of them are dead. Buddha is dead. Mahatma Gandhi is dead. Leotasi is dead. Lenin is dead. Stalin is dead. They're dead. But Jesus Christ, who died, is alive. He didn't say, I was the resurrection of life. He said, I am the resurrection of life. Anyone who believes in me, though they may die, yet shall they live. And anyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. So Alzheimer's is terrible. But that's not the final word on today. Abuse is terrible. But it's not the final word on today. Bullying is terrible, but it's not the final word on today. Bankruptcy is awful, but it's not the final word on today. Cancer and coronavirus can kill you, but it's not the final word on today. Depression is the number one psychological issue in America. It is terrible, but it is not the final word on today. The last word on today is Jesus Christ. And God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Therefore, I declare to you with all my heart that nothing, nothing, Nothing in all creation could ever separate us, you and me, from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now that's the truth. Don't ever forget it. Amen.